0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Bold Sidebar. This is your host, Jeff Horn, talking all things New Jersey Supreme Court. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It means so much to the services that broadcast the podcast and would mean a lot to me. Appreciate it. So, the court has not dropped an opinion for a couple of weeks, unless you think it's because the justices are taking a leisurely break or being lazy, not the case at all. Indeed, it's important to remember that the New Jersey Supreme Court runs the courts. The chief and the AOC director, Judge Grant, and others, run the day to day operation of the court. And we can't forget, we are still. In the middle of a pandemic, we're turning the one-year corner since the courts were shut down, juries were shut down, and I believe the court has done a miraculous job to move as many cases as have been moved. The court did issue a directive indicating that there may be in-person jury service starting on May 17, 2021. I'm not 100% sure how to interpret The directive, since we're just starting virtual trials in April 2021, and of course there's been a lot of uproar, a lot of hand-wringing, especially on the criminal side, certainly no one wants to subject their defendant to less than available due process, less than perfect justice, so perhaps we can get some criminal trials going, and if people have been waiting and thinking maybe uh, the courts will forget about them, no, it's not going to happen. If you are facing a uh, criminal trial, they're going to get them going with some live jury activity pretty soon. I imagine that will be the priority. Old criminal cases, whereas the civil cases, your car accident cases and such may proceed on the virtual side. So we'll see how it all comes together. But the reason I bring this up is this was not always the case. Indeed, before the 1947 Constitution, we had 18 state courts, 18 courts, 17 if you want to call them lower courts, and then the Court of Errors and Appeals. The Court of Errors and Appeals was run by a chancellor, seven justices who also sat as trial court or, or original jurisdiction judges, and six lay judges. So it was really inefficient. And oftentimes, one judge decided and wrote the opinion. It was not as deliberative of a process. So I want to go back and say, how did this all get changed? Reform. Reform was stymied by political operatives, as you can imagine. With 18 courts, you have lots of appointments, lots of gamesmanship, and the court didn't run the court. The court was run by the elected officials. The legislature ran the court, and it just created a scenario where bosses, and the boss of all bosses, Frank Haig, could put his people in all over the place and sort of insulate political corruption by stocking the judiciary with friendly faces. But there was a reformer, not one, but one that stands out who eventually became our first post-1947 chief justice. That is Arthur T. Vanderbilt, a fascinating guy and uh, lived a, a, a shocking life, a very, very productive life. If you ever get tired, I want you to think about Arthur T. Vanderbilt. First of all, the T stands for nothing. He did not have a true middle name. He is featured in a book authored by now retired Judge Nelson C. Johnson. You may know his name. He is the author of the Boardwalk Empire book that was then turned into a script and turned into a huge TV series. Judge Johnson, another guy of enormous energy, wrote the book called Battleground New Jersey, Vanderbilt, Haig, and Their Fight for Justice. Highly recommend it. I've read it once, I've read it twice, and it's sort of a reference guide to how the courts were reformed. So how did it get done and who did it? Back to this notion of stymied progress on reform in the 30s and 40s. There were a lot of other things going on that gave rise to uh, opposition to reform. Obviously, the, the 40s of World War II, so there's good reason to say, wait until the boys come home. And that's what the Pals did when they were fighting back against the reform-minded people like Arthur Vanderbilt. Let's speak about Vanderbilt for just a second. He is a Newark guy, born, raised, kept his practice there, Wesleyan graduate, a trustee of Wesleyan for many years, then goes on to Columbia Law School, takes a train from Newark in and out two hours each way, comes home, teaches school at night. He becomes a NYU law professor and later the dean is there for over 34 years. And this to me is shocking. He builds a solo practice, i.e. no partners, but at its height, a one partner law firm with up to 70 associate lawyers handling insurance defense work, representing insurance companies from all over the country. He becomes the go-to insurance lawyer in New Jersey, and indeed a nationwide and even an international practice. He also is the ABA president at one point, so an extremely busy guy who pushes a reform agenda against the political machines and gets it done. And yet, you have to know all the details from battleground New Jersey, thanks to Judge Johnson. But he's he's uh, opposed by all the entrenched lawyers, politicians who are getting paid. They're getting power and money from the existing system. Why would they want it to change? Well, the forces of reform coalesce when. Camden County politico Alfred Driscoll becomes the governor. He puts together a coalition that Justice Vanderbilt never could. He maybe, Vanderbilt maybe was a little aloof, and Driscoll worked with everybody. And if you need a reminder who Judge, uh, pardon me, Governor Driscoll is, Every time you go over the Garden State Parkway Bridge over the Raritan River, you're going over the Driscoll Bridge. So he's the governor before, during, and immediately after the new Constitution is put together. And he's the glue that puts together the North and the South and the Republicans and the Democrats and the Reformers and the politicians. So with his partner, Driscoll, Arthur Vanderbilt gives up all of his duties as the dean of NYU law and his usual practice and all of his commitments to become the first real chief justice of the New Jersey Supreme Court in 1948. And what Driscoll and Vanderbilt do, I think is brilliant. They put together a Supreme Court utilizing four justices who previously had served as judges or the so-called uh, justices on the ENA, the Errors and Appeals Court, together with Vanderbilt and two other new justices. So they bridge a gap of continuity with the old, albeit clunky, court system, get it put together with tenure, with an age 70 mandatory retirement. Soon thereafter, the Supreme Court-led reforms kick in, and we get things that we all take for granted. First of all, the justices would have a weekly meeting and review all of the cases, and they would uh, talk about the cases and get a sense of where the justices are headed, where the seven-person panel is headed a justice would be appointed to write the majority opinion. It would no longer be whack up the piles and whoever gets it, gets it and writes the opinion and everyone is bound to it. So a real deliberative process. Also, again, in the role as leader and administrative head of the Supreme Court, we get things like court rules that apply uniformly across the system. You get discovery. Time was uh, trials were trials by ambush. Now our three thousand page court rule book uh, defines a heck of a lot of what's going to happen in your case, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a litigant. So tremendous reforms that got rid of a ton of inefficiency, absurd overlapping jurisdictions from the prior seventeen feeder courts and really an efficient model court system. Can it still use reforms? Absolutely, we can always make it better, but we can thank Chief Justice Vanderbilt and Governor Driscoll for getting something that makes sense and getting it going. Now, I am praising Vanderbilt up and down. Judge Nelson Johnson praises Vanderbilt up and down, but one interesting nugget that Judge Nelson Johnson Unearthed in his research is a book called The Boss, written about corrupt political mayor, leader, Frank Haig of Jersey City. And the book, The Boss, is written by Professor David McKeon of Dartmouth. And lest we think it's a pure work of academia and of research and digging, it turns out that when Judge Johnson went through the um, papers of Justice Chief Justice Vanderbilt at Wesleyan, he found where Vanderbilt had fed a ton of information to McKeon and indeed rewritten sections of the book that turned out to be a tremendous slam piece against Haig, passed around throughout the country and uh, certainly born of some truth's but greatly exaggerated, and that piece of yellow journalism, co-written by a secretly co-written by a man who would become Chief Justice of the New Jersey Supreme Court with the aura of academia wrapped around it, is a real piece of yellow journalism and a real hatchet job for a guy who really deserved it. Two seconds on Frank Haig, he would earn eight thousand dollars a year as the mayor of. Jersey City, while he owned a mansion in Deal, kept apartments, penthouse apartments in New York City, and had a huge house in Jersey City, traveled extensively, etc. Lived like a king, died a multimillionaire. There was a state litigation that uh, sort of painted a picture of his wealth when his wife died. But anyway, never convicted, often chased by the authorities, But Frank Haig never convicted a real sort of mover and shaker in New Jersey politics. But eventually, the winner is Vanderbilt. And the winner is our relatively efficient court system. We can make it better, and we will. A couple more things just real quick. Chief Justice Vanderbilt became the chief when he was age 60. So he'd done a lot of living in his prior 40 years almost as a lawyer but kind of worked himself to death and died prior to a couple of weeks prior to his 69th birthday. So he was the chief for about 8 years post 1947 constitution and we have a lot to a lot of reason to thank Chief Justice Vanderbilt for his tremendous work in in reforming the judiciary and creating a lot of the good characteristics of our current New Jersey court system. All right, that's it for today. Hopefully we'll be getting back to some good interviews and case studies, which I love talking about the cases. And uh, again, thanks again uh, so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Give us those ratings. Pass this around. If anyone has a case that's going up, that's been recently up, or has something to say about the New Jersey Supreme Court. Maybe you're a former clerk. You want to put some color into some of my words. I'm uh, pulling all this from opinions and books and the internet and talking to people. I'd love to speak to uh, former justices. We heard uh, Justice Gary Stein come on already, and I'm looking forward to more of our real great resources in terms of our living retired Supreme Court justices, but I'd love to hear from the advocates who are regularly appearing in front of the court and the clerks who might be able to uh, help us all understand how the court works and give us a little color. So thanks a lot. That's it for today.